Hello, and welcome to the Garrett Ashley Mullet Show on Anchor FM. Once again, I am Garrett Ashley Mullet. Today we're going to talk about masks. And what causes this to be the topic at the fore of my mind today is the fact that yesterday I had a class, I had a training, annual training that I need to do for work once a year. And I need to get certified because of the type of work that I do and the industry in which I work and the facilities in which I work. And I had training and I didn't realize until I got to the training that we were going to be asked or required to wear masks for the entire training. Now, this class was supposed to be eight hours. It ended up going a little quicker than eight hours, but uh, it was supposed to be, in theory, an eight-hour class. And so you can imagine my discomfort and displeasure when I arrived after having really not worn a mask for any significant length of time all year, now being told I had to wear a mask for eight hours straight. And obviously not eight hours straight in the sense that there weren't going to be any breaks or there wasn't going to be any opportunity to take the mask off and get some fresh air. But near enough when you're talking about eight hours, you know, a break every two hours is not much to breathe. Break for lunch is not much to breathe. And so I thought about this quite a lot yesterday as I was in this class. And I'm thinking about how do I handle this? How do I deal with this? How do I respond appropriately? I don't want to speak off the cuff. I don't want to respond emotionally and do or say something stupid that I regret. And I may be in the right on principle, but that doesn't mean that I want to be hasty in taking a stand here without having thought first about what the consequences will be, without having counted the cost, and without having considered a little bit of the way that I will respond when there's a reaction to my saying, no, I'm sorry, I can't go for this. So I thought about it a lot yesterday as I'm sitting there in this class and I took notes and I came to some realizations, which I want to share with you. And if you're in the same boat, if you're feeling the same way, and if you are having this uncomfortable sense that you're alone and that everybody else is more or less okay with this and you're the odd one out that has these problems. I want to give voice to some thoughts that maybe are just rattling around in your brain and you're afraid to flesh them out. You're afraid to talk about them because quite honestly, you're afraid of being punished for departing from the official narrative that's being trumpeted left and right now. But regarding masks, I think it's important that we understand our principles. We understand the practical considerations in terms of, you know, should we wear masks? Should we not wear masks? Uh, What is the cost-benefit analysis to wearing masks? What is the cost-benefit analysis to not wearing masks, given the circumstances? I want to talk about that because I think we need to be intentional about this, and we need to know where we stand and why, and we need to take the right stand for the right reason. Now that I've introduced the topic to you, I want to cover this subject in two basic categories. One category being practical concerns, the other being principle concerns. And what I mean by principle concerns is I mean concerns that have to do with principles, that have to do with more the metaphysical things that we believe about the world and about reality and about ourselves and about the way that society works and about the way that our employment works and the way that our government is supposed to work, the way we're supposed to relate to all these things, all these people that are around us, whether they're family, friends, strangers in the public, whether they are owners of businesses, whether they are employers of ourselves, whether they're customers, whatever, fill in the blank. How do we relate to those people based on our principles? Do we have principles? And is it perhaps a very dangerous thing also if we stop having principles or if we just stow those, if we just put those on the shelf indefinitely till this all blows over, if it ever blows over. But first of all, let's get into the practical concerns. Now, I want to start off by telling you something that really is none of your business, but I I want to make it clear that this is not just a matter of principle for me. Some of the way that I'm responding to the mask issue does have to do with the fact that I'm an asthmatic. Now, I'll qualify that for anybody that knows me fairly well. You know that I smoke a pipe. I smoke a pipe 
and I've been told by doctors, you shouldn't smoke a pipe because you have asthma. That's really not, you know, that's not a good idea. You come to me, the doctor says, and you ask for a prescription for uh, medicine for your asthma, but you smoke a pipe. Maybe here's some medicine, here's a prescription, stop smoking. And I've thought about it, and I know that I run a risk as an asthmatic, but I also know that there's a benefit to smoking a pipe. And the benefit is that insofar as my asthma is triggered psychosomatically, insofar as it is triggered by stress, smoking a pipe actually works to counteract one of the triggers of my asthma. Now, it might activate another trigger, but on the whole, I have decided that it does more benefit than it does harm because the smoking relaxes me, it calms me down, it gives me, uh, I think, a bulwark of sorts against the stress that so often has triggered my asthma in the past and caused flare-ups. That said... I smoke a pipe and I don't feel as though smoking a pipe does as much uh, aggravation to my asthma, to my asthmatic condition. I have learned to try and control my emotions and my emotional state as a way of controlling and mitigating my asthma symptoms. So one of the things that I do is I try not to laugh too hard because when I get to laughing too hard, it triggers my asthma. It's not a distress, it's a eustress, but just that extra exertion on my lungs, it uh, inflames them, and I have I have problems. I have issues with that, and it ends up being less enjoyable than the laughter was enjoyable. And so, if I seem dry, if I seem like I uh, very often am, am kind of not unemotional, but uh, like I'm resistant to emotions, that's part of what it is. Is that I've learned that emotions, strong emotions, uh, have a way of triggering my asthma and creating a problem for me. So I try and control my emotions as a way of controlling my asthma because I realize that my my asthma symptoms very often have been downstream of my emotional state. So that aside, or actually uh, dovetailing with one of the problems I have with masks, masks create stress for me. That's one thing. That is one, one problem with masks. Besides the physiological thing that's going on as I'm breathing uh, my own carbon dioxide back, the fact that I'm wearing a mask and it feels claustrophobic and it, and it creates this kind of anxiety, that also triggers my asthma and it, it causes issues for me. You add to to that, the fact that this mask mandate is being hoisted on me, it's not something willingly that I'm embracing of my own volition because I've decided this is what's best for me. The fact that someone else is quite probably threatening me with either a denial of service or even, who knows, you know, disciplinary action if I'm an employee, termination if I'm an employee, uh, legal action if it's a government body, fines, citation, uh, you know, whatever, you name it, you know, that creates stress for me. And so if I then submit to that, it also creates stress because I have principles and those principles are violated by this idea that I'm going to tell you to wear a mask and you're going to do it or else. Or else? Really? You know, I guess this is not my body, my choice, right? But, you know, physiologically... There's a couple of things that stress aside, even if I weren't stressed out by wearing a mask, create an issue for me as an asthmatic. And I know they create an issue for other people as well, even if they're not asthmatic. The big thing, the number one thing is blood oxygenation. And I know a pharmacist, his name's Joe, he lives here in Greeley. And I've talked with Joe and he has to wear a mask. He's required to wear a mask as a condition of his employment now, you know, or, or threats of uh, termination or disciplinary action come into play. He has taken a blood ox monitor with him to work and put it on his finger at the beginning of the shift and then put it on his finger throughout his shift just to see, you know, how is his blood oxygenation? Is he doing well as far as getting enough oxygen to keep his blood nutrient rich or to keep it healthy, right? I mean, keep it doing what blood is supposed to do. You have lungs for a reason. You have heart for a reason. Your heart and lungs are supposed to be pumping oxygenated blood to all the rest of your body and then pumping blood that has deposited its oxygen back to the heart and the lungs so that they can be you know, reloaded. They need to be reloaded with oxygen all day, every day. And that's one of the facts of our existence. One of the reasons that coronavirus actually is really dangerous is when it gets in the lungs and it negatively impacts breathing, that's a problem because we kind of need to breathe. Breathing is sort of an important function of our human bodies. I am more sensitive to that fact as an asthmatic than I think most people are who are just accustomed to doing it. I mean, it's, 
it's it's something unconscious. They breathe, and unless they start choking on a piece of food or they you know inhale some water when they're swimming, they don't really think about the fact that they're breathing all day. Not so for me. I think about it, and blood oxygenation is something that I'm sensitive to. When my asthma is triggered and I'm not breathing very well and my lungs are tightening up, I notice all of a sudden I start getting shaky. All of a sudden I start getting lightheaded. All of a sudden I start getting kind of ditzy and I start saying weird, funny, odd things because I'm not getting quite enough oxygen to my brain. Now, sometimes that makes me an entertaining person to be around, but other times it's just embarrassing because I'm saying silly, funny things. And I'm realizing, you know, I just kind of have to go with it. I'm going to lean into this fact that I'm not getting enough oxygen to my brain. And it is what it is because this is a condition that I have. But blood oxygenation, my friend Joe tells me, it's amazing how quickly it drops when you're wearing a mask all day. And you're wearing a mask and you take the mask off for a little bit and your blood oxygenation recovers fairly quickly. But if you put the mask back on not too long after you've had your blood oxygenation come back up, it drops again. So there's a kind of cumulative effect, it seems, from what I've heard, to the negative impact that wearing a mask all day has on your body's ability to respirate appropriately, to oxygenate your blood, to oxygenate your body, your tissues all over your body, your organs, your muscles, everything. So that's an issue, right? Blood oxygenation issues related to masks are why you have reports from early on in this COVID business of people that were driving around and wearing their masks and passing out. Those are real stories, things that really happened to real people for a reason. The reason is because they weren't getting enough oxygen to their brains and they passed out. As a result, they lost consciousness. And while driving, that's an especially dangerous thing. But honestly, it's a dangerous thing the rest of the time as well. It's a dangerous thing because just like me when I'm asthmatic and I'm not getting enough oxygen to my brain, you say dumb, silly things. You don't quite think on all cylinders. You're not firing on all cylinders. And that can lead to mistakes. That can lead to accidents. That can lead to problems. That can lead to unnecessary conflicts. That can lead to unnecessary acquiescence to a belligerent person or to somebody who's being hostile. And I think that no small amount of the stress and the upset and the problems between people this year in 2020, honestly, has been related to masks in this regard and another, which has to do with psychological distance. And I'll get to that later. But blood oxygenation, it's a major deal and it aggravates my asthma and it aggravates people that are not even asthmatic for the same reason, because you kind of need oxygen. You kind of need oxygen in your blood and your whole body is depending on sufficiently oxygenated blood getting to all of its members. Now, another thing is that as you're breathing into this mask, you're breathing your moist air out of your lungs, right? You breathe, you know, probably fairly dry air if you're in Colorado. Colorado is a fairly dry state. Eastern Montana, where I'm originally from, is a pretty dry part of the country. So you're breathing in dry air most of the time. It's humidity at at or near zero percent, but you're breathing out moist air because there's moisture inside your body. If you're reasonably healthy at all, you're drinking water, you're taking in fluids, and you've got moist lungs. And so as you breathe in, even dry air attaches itself to some of this moisture that's in your lungs or the moisture that's in your lungs attaches itself to this air, however you want to put it. And when you breathe out, you're breathing out moisture. And when you're wearing a mask, you're breathing that moisture right into the mask. And as you're breathing that moisture into the mask for hours and hours and hours, and then you're doing what? You're breathing back in through the mask. You're breathing in some of that moisture. You know, not only is it oxygen deficient, not only does it negatively impact your mask's ability to be permeable, whereby things can flow through it that you want to flow through it, right? You don't want COVID particles to flow through it, but you do want oxygen to flow through it. As your mask gets more and more moist because you're wearing it all damn day, that negatively impacts your mask's ability to pass oxygen through it. And it also creates conditions which make you vulnerable to staph infection and Legionnaire's disease and other such things, which, you know, it's just like the side effects on medication. Sometimes these side effects are as bad or worse than the actual thing that you're supposed to be treating with the product, you know, whether that's medicine or that's a mask, sometimes you got to read the side effects and you got to consider, is this worth it? Am I getting more benefit than I'm getting a cost here? And if not, traditionally, we have not said 
for the vast majority of people, unless somebody is absolutely stark raving mad and they need to be medicated in order to not be a danger to themselves and others, we have traditionally said in this country, in the United States of America, if you don't want to take it, don't take it. Nobody's forcing you to take Prozac because Prozac, it might help with your depression, but it's going to create other issues. And those other issues might be as bad or worse than the original condition that you were taking the Prozac for, right? So we've got an issue there with staph infection, Legionnaire's disease. And I really, really, really wonder, truly, really, truly, I really wonder if this isn't kind of like bleeding. Bleeding was a medical treatment before the rise of what's called quote-unquote modern medicine. It was a treatment for just about everything. If you had a cough, if you weren't feeling super great, if you whatever, a doctor would come to your house and bleed you. And he might bleed you with leeches, he might attach leeches, and those leeches would suck up a certain amount of your blood because supposedly, according to the theory, you had an imbalance of bodily fluids, you had too much blood. And so now we got to bleed off some of this blood so that you're in balance, you're in equilibrium, your feng shui, so to speak, is, uh, is, is recalibrated. Or they would just make a slight incision in some vein, in some part of your arm or whatever, and they would allow the blood to flow out until they, I guess, felt like it was enough. And then they would say, okay, let's see how you do. You bleeding maybe quite possibly would have some kind of a psychosomatic effect whereby your body has an adrenaline rush like, hey, wait a second, what's going on? We better shape up, better straighten up and fly right. We're bleeding here. Why are we bleeding? Activate all of the defenses. And then in the process of your body kind of going into this panic mode of the fact that you're losing blood, maybe just maybe in some cases that was having some benefit. Maybe it was like a water pill where, you know, it's a placebo effect. And so people were being bled and they were being told this is going to help you feel better. So that calms them down, causes the the calming effect to have a, a sort of a feedback loop similar to my taking my emotions in hand has a positive effect on my asthma. And, and maybe there was some benefit in that regard, but it wasn't first and foremost due to the bleeding. It was due to other things, right? It was due to a psychological condition, which gave people a sense of calm and everything's going to be all right because the doctor just took some of my blood out unnecessarily, actually. So now, you know, we look back on those days where bleeding was a medical routine. It was it was just standard practice. We look back in our day with some measure of horror, and I think rightly so, because it's like, well, no, right? I mean, you, you get George Washington dying because he catches a cold. He's riding his horse. He's driving his horse, however you want to put it, on a, a cold, you know, rainy night. And he catches a cold. He gets sick. The doctor comes and bleeds him. And all of a sudden, you know, it made things worse. And that's how he goes. And so you, you have this horror at, gosh, why would you do that? You're actually making things worse objectively more than you're making things better, except for the, the sense that you, the person has that you're doing something, right? You, they feel a, a control. It's kind of like you put a, a, a blanket over somebody if they're going into shock because it gives their body this kind of reassurance that everything's going to be fine, calm down, stop panicking, just breathe slowly. The same with the masks is true that we are doing more harm than good, I believe, for the vast, vast, vast majority of these people in the vast majority of cases. And the only reason we refuse to see it is because we like that sense of having some control over it. There's something that everybody can do, right? And there's this little totem. There's this little physical representation of their control over the situation over the circumstances. This mask is like a little harness that they can put on the horse and then they can control it. They can lead it around. They can bridle it. They can steer it. They can put the bit between the teeth and then they can maybe just maybe ride this thing out if they wear a mask themselves, if they force everybody around them to wear a mask, gives them a sense of having control over the situation and over the circumstances. And yet it's creating more problems than it's solving. It is creating a worse condition than it is alleviating. And you look at the, the CDC's own data, right? Center for Disease Control did a study, came out here a number of weeks ago, in which they showed what percentage of people who are COVID positive have said that they either wore their masks all the time or most of the time or some of the time or none of the time. And would you guess what? The number of people that had COVID that said that they never wore a mask was like under 5%. The vast majority of the people said they either wore their masks all the time, which was like 70 plus percent, if memory serves, might have been uh, north of 80 percent. People who said that they wore their masks most of the time was another double digit percent. And the people that said they wore their masks some of the time was a little smaller percent still. And the people that said they would never wore their masks and got COVID was almost infinitesimal. 
Because what, right? Explain that to me. We should hear that kind of a statistic and we should ask, why might that be? If there's no curiosity as to why that might be, then that to me raises other questions. Okay, if you're not curious, CDC, if you're not curious, Democrat politicians, if you're not curious, milquetoast Republicans who just want to go along to get along so you can get voted in for being somebody who's going to stand against the left, but you don't really, you're a paper tiger. If you guys are not curious about why such a high percentage of people who've been COVID positive wore their masks, some to all of the time, then I wonder why that is. And maybe this is just convenient. Maybe it's convenient to make people wear masks as a proxy for other things that you want to make them do as well. Setting that off to the side though, if I'm looking at this data and I'm thinking about it and I'm thinking about the way that I feel when I'm wearing a mask and I'm breathing my own moist air back in again and I'm not getting enough oxygen and I'm also having this stressful response where I'm agitated that I have to wear a mask and I'm wondering, am I adjusting my mask too much? And are they wearing a mask? Are they wearing it properly? Is that the, is that the right kind of mask? Are we six feet apart? All these things. If I'm panicking about that and I'm stressed out about that, what does that do to my immune system? What what does that do to my body's natural ability to stave off disease? Well, it does the same thing that stress and panicking does to my asthma. In my mind, those two things are not hard to associate with one another. You have a negative ability, you have a lessened, diminished ability to have an appropriate immune response to COVID or anything else because of these masks, because you're freaking out about it, because you're stressed. The stress actually decreases your body's immune response, its ability to respond appropriately to threats, foreign particles, viruses, bacteria, etc., etc. In addition to those concerns. We also have the fact that masks are uncomfortable. And this might not seem like a major deal, but it is. The uncomfortability, I was thinking about it in a new light yesterday as I'm going through this Haswhopper class. We're talking about, for instance, you're driving down the road and you see that there's been an accident and you see that a truck carrying some kind of a chemical in its tank on the back has tipped over. It's crashed. This chemical is spilling out. It, there's no label necessarily saying what the chemical is, but there is a placard. And the placard has a code. And so the whole point of this class is teaching us how to look up that code in this little emergency response guide, ERG, 2016. <clears throat> and you cross-reference the code with instructions. <clears throat> okay, so what is this chemical substance? What are the hazards it presents? Does it present health hazards? Is it a fire or explosion hazard? Is it a chemical hazard? Whatever. You look at uh, what the appropriate response is. How far back should you uh, pull people, evacuate people from the area in which this spill has occurred or is occurring? What do you tell 911 and emergency operators when you talk with them? You know, all of those things, but also if you're going to have to wear PPE, what level of PPE do you need? Do you just need uh, safety glasses and rubber gloves? Do you need a respirator? Do you need a filtering mask? Do you need, a, you know, an SCBA, self-contained breathing apparatus with supplied air? Do you need a full hazmat suit? I mean, what do you need in order to safely either get in there and stop the leak or clean up the spill. And one of the things I noticed on levels A, B, C, etc. of PPE, and, the, and that's the way they're categorized, right? Level A and level B and level C are different amounts of PPE, different uh, extents to which you should wear uh, things that are going to cover up your skin and keep you from inhaling or getting splashed on or, or whatever, coming into contact with whatever the substance is. One of the things that I found remarkable is that as you're wearing these really high-level uh, PPE categories, the instructions end on three points, which involve a assistant or a buddy or someone else, somebody else besides you, double checking to make sure that everything is on properly, double checking to make sure that you're comfortable, double checking to make sure that you are not experiencing psychological distress, double checking to make sure all of these things because it is relevant. You, according to the Haswhopper, according to OSHA, according to NIOSH, according to these safety regulatory commissions and bodies, it is relevant whether your PPE is comfortable. It's important. It's not just important because it needs to be comfortable because we're all about comfort. It's important because discomfort 
can negatively impair your ability to operate. You might not be able to operate safely and effectively in cleaning up that spill or shutting off the valve that is going to stop the leak or whatever. You might not be able to do that effectively if your PPE is uncomfortable. And the more distracted you are by the discomfort, the less effective you're going to be in focusing on the task at hand that you need to. And also, the quicker you're going to be fatigued, so the less you're going to be able to actually respond, for, you know, the less duration you're going to be able to respond appropriately and effectively and productively to the task at hand. So discomfort for masks is actually important. And I think about just yesterday. I'm sitting there in class and... I'm so uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable physically. I'm uncomfortable psychologically. I'm uncomfortable with this whole process. And guess what I was having a hard time focusing on? The subject of the class. I was having a hard time focusing on it because I'm so distracted by my discomfort. And so then it's like, well, what's the point of even being here, right? If I'm so distracted by this discomfort of this mask that I shouldn't have to wear anyways for a number of reasons which I've mentioned and a number more which I'm going to mention. I'm so distracted. What's the point of even being here? I'm not present. This is not working. It's difficult to talk with a mask on. And what's interesting to me is the, the group that I was taking this class with, usually a very talkative bunch, right? I work with them on a daily basis, on a weekly basis. Uh, we work in plants. And so we're in a building or in a facility together day in and day out, Monday through Friday, sometimes on the weekends, sometimes in the middle of the night, depending on what's going on. You know, we're working together. And so I know that they're chatty people. I know that they're chatty Cathy's. They like to talk. They like to make jokes. They like to comment. They like to talk about things that they know, share their knowledge and their experiences and whatever. And you put everybody in a mask for eight hours and it was remarkable to me. Not only did I not have any interest, any special interest in responding to questions or making comments or talking in general, but all of them, even the chattiest of them, all of a sudden were offering up one-word answers to things where they usually, you know, God love them, they usually can go on and on and on and on and on and just run away with the topic. And they could talk for minutes based on this thing that's just kind of sort of maybe related to what the, uh, the instructor was saying. All of a sudden, they're making one-word answers and comments, and that's it. And the reason for that is that the mask serves as a muzzle. It serves and functions as a muzzle. It negatively impacts our ability to communicate, and it decreases and diminishes our desire to communicate. And as communication is decreasing, all of our efficiency, all of our ability to coordinate and work together on things is also diminished. And that is also a hazard. That is also a cost. And it might be a very high cost if you're in a line of work in a situation where you need to be communicating, you need to be expressing all of the details and the context and making the connections in order to get something done effectively, to be productive, to enjoy what you do, right? To have a relationship with people, to be a healthy human being emotionally, spiritually, socially, et cetera, et cetera. So that's another issue. Practical concern with masks, difficult to talk with. Blood oxygenation, staph infection, Legionnaire's disease, they're uncomfortable, they're difficult to talk with. And also the CDC's own website says you should not wear a mask if you have a heart or lung condition. Now, for me, I've already mentioned that's asthma. I won't belabor that point any further, but there's a lot of people that have medical conditions that mean they should not be wearing a mask. And I think what a lot of people are concerned about is probably very similar to what I'm concerned about. If I speak up and I say, well, hey, I have asthma. I don't think that it's appropriate. I don't think it's a good idea for me to wear this mask. Can you make accommodations for me or can I just not wear it, right? Can we just, you know, go back to the idea that we are free people who are in charge of our own bodies, who are in charge of our own lives? And can you just mind your own business and let me wear one or not wear one? What makes me reluctant to say that is the fact that maybe just maybe my not wearing a mask is a bridge too far as far as making accommodations. Maybe they just say, hey, we've got other people. We can find somebody else who we don't have to accommodate like this. It creates extra steps. It creates stress. It creates encumbrances on our process to either make an exception for you so you don't have to wear 
a mask or to do workarounds or just whatever. And I think a lot of people are afraid to say, you know, I have a condition and this is a problem for me. This is uncomfortable for me. They're afraid to because they're seeing the way that people are treated when mask mandates are rolled out. And they know that there's a cost to that as well. And so they're weighing and measuring. They're doing the cost-benefit analysis, not along the lines of would they wear a mask? Because that's what the mask mandate does. Is It totally circumvents. It does an end run around you having control over making that decision and that determination. Is this good for me? Is it not good for me? Is it worth the risk? Is it not worth the risk? What is the cost on this side? What is the cost on that side? What is the benefit on this side? What is the benefit on that side? You mandate it, and all of a sudden, you've just taken that freedom away from people to make these decisions about what's good for them, what's best for them. And in a certain sense, that's insulting. It's insulting. It insults their intelligence. It insults their integrity. It insults their character. And uh, it really does handicap them. And it really does uh, diminish them. And... Uh, you know, I think people that are concerned about speaking up, they're afraid of getting into that long protracted discussion about, you know, wait a second, you know, why why is this not my choice? Well, it's not your choice because we've got to look out for other people. We've got to protect other people. You may not want to wear a mask. You need to wear it for other people. Well, what if they don't want to wear a mask either? What if there's a whole lot of groupthink going on here and everybody's afraid to say something and the people that are handing mandates down here and there and there and there, all those people are talking with each other and congratulating each other and sharing stories about, oh, yeah, no, I, I got really tough and I, I did the right thing. And I told them they didn't like it, but I, I held the line. I was really tough about it because it's the right thing to do. Da, 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 da. You know, those people, they have their own little group think echo chamber where they're the experts and they know what's best. And they're going to tell you. This is how it's got to be, right? Listen to your betters. Listen to those who know more than you do. Listen to the experts. Listen to those who actually do care about everybody's well-being as if you don't, right? The implication being you don't care about everybody else's health and well-being, which, I mean, really, is it's a very troubling, very disconcerting implication. For me personally, as somebody that is safety conscious, everybody that knows me knows that I'm very safety conscious. I've been on safety committees. I've promoted safety. I've taught safety programs. I've pushed for these things. I've implemented these things. I've resisted people that were just good old boys about everything. Oh, no, we've always done it this way, and it's no big deal. And, you know, we can use a, a weed burner to thaw out pipes and valves on, uh, you know, natural gas lines. It's no big deal. Nothing's ever happened before. And I'm like, what? No, stop, 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 stop. You are going to get yourself killed. You're going to get us killed. I just know that these folks that are making these mask mandate policies and decisions and, and just handing down these edicts from on high, I know that they're thinking in terms of that. They've got the same mentality. They think that this is like that, and it's not like that. It's not like that. It's not like the guy who takes ridiculous risks He you know, in the oil and gas context. It's not like the guy who walks into a treater shack on a, a well site smoking a cigarette, right? And all of a sudden, the, the little fiery red cherry on the end of the cigarette starts glowing brighter and brighter as he's walking in because there's a gas leak. It's not like that when we say, the mask idea, not working for me. It's not like that. And I say that as somebody who has been very safety conscious. I say that as somebody who does pay a lot of attention to these things. I say that as somebody who is a political commentator and who studies political history, studies philosophy, and studies psychology, and studies all these things, this actually is making us less safe. This actually is, is causing people to burn out on safety and to be less and less concerned about their own safety and that of other people. Because at a certain point, you just exhaust people's capacity to pay attention to threats and hazards. You create such a stressful situation in which everything's dangerous, everything's awful, everything's going to kill you. And people at a certain point, they just reach their limit and they say, you know what? I don't care, right? And so you didn't pick your battles. Everything had to be your way absolutely to a T. And you didn't consult anybody. You didn't talk with them. You weren't respectful of their part to play in this. You sidestepped all of that. You treated them like infants. You treated them like they were stupid. And now they resent you for it. And now they resent anything else 
that you might have had a valid point to be cautioning them about as far as this, as a hazard goes. And it, it creates an unsafe situation. It creates an unsafe condition, actually, more than it creates a safe condition. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is along those lines, from a principle perspective, from the perspective of what are our beliefs about our political process and our form of government and our social contract and our employment terms and, you know, what rights people have if they own a business and private property, et cetera, et cetera. I want to talk about the things that we believe that are more metaphysical than practical, uh, because the metaphysical does actually affect directly the practical concerns. These things are connected. That's the whole reason I have this podcast is to talk about how these things are connected. And we can't just think in naturalistic terms because the world is not going to make sense. The world is not just made of the physical. It's also made of the metaphysical. It's not just made up of the natural. It is also made up of supernatural and spiritual things. So one of these spiritual things is the idea that you have your body. Your body is yours. Your body doesn't belong to the village. It doesn't belong to the community at large. It doesn't belong to the world. It's not the world's body. That's your body. And we know that progressives, who very often are the ones that are pushing hardest on all of these mask mandates and safer at home and quarantining people that are totally healthy, that are, are not covid uh, patients, they're not infected. We know that the progressive crowd is all about body autonomy when it comes to abortion. And the irony of all ironies is that abortion advocates will say it's the woman's body. You have no right, especially if you're a man, you have no right to tell a woman what she can and cannot do with her body. The thing they neglect to mention and they refuse to admit or recognize is that abortion is not something being done to the woman's body. It's something being done, first and foremost, to the body of an unborn child. So it's actually not your body, your choice. In fact, you're violating, to the greatest extent possible, the principle you're espousing. You're a hypocrite. That actually is that child's body. And that child did not choose for you to insert sharp instruments to rip that child apart piece by piece, limb by limb, that child did not choose to be murdered by you. It's not your body, your choice when you're having an abortion. And yet there is actually something to this line of thought, which if we understood it rightly, if we applied it consistently, if we weren't just using it to get what we want, would put an end to abortion today, like right now, this idea of body autonomy is the reason why rape is wrong. It's the reason why assault is wrong. It's the reason why murder is wrong. Because that's not your body. You are in the wrong if you were doing violence to somebody else's body. And in the case of rape, for instance, it is wrong for you to be coming to somebody and saying, you know what, you look pretty good. I think I'll just have sex with you. I don't care if you want to or not. I'm going to force you to because I'm stronger than you. I have some ability. I have some power over you. I'm going to force you to have sex with me. That is wrong. And it's very often for people that are raped or they're sexually assaulted, it's not first and foremost a physical thing. There might be physical scars. There might be you know damage that's done physically. But first and foremost, the trauma is emotional. It is psychological. It's social. All of a sudden, those people have a hard time trusting people again. All of a sudden, those people have a hard time getting close to people again. All of a sudden, those people have trust issues, rightly so, because somebody else didn't respect boundaries. Now, what are boundaries? Boundaries are you recognizing that you can't just treat people any way you like. You can't just do anything you want to them. You can't treat them as objects because they are people like your people. And as a Christian, I believe we're all created in the image of God. And the whole idea that we have natural rights stems from the fact that we are made alike in God's image. The idea that we have property, for instance, this is my house, it's not your house. This is my wife, it's not your wife. This is my body, it's not your body. That is the basis for the Ten Commandments, for instance. It's the basis for law, even secular law, even American law. It's the reason why we had Ten Commandments at courthouses across the country until the secular left uh, in the modern era 
tried to purge all of that away and say we've got to have a separation of church and state. The reason those Ten Commandments monuments were at these courthouses is because the idea that God laid these laws down, that our rights come from God, and also the wrongs that we're told not to commit come from God, was foundational to our whole legal system, to our presupposition that all men are created equal and endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. And among these are the rights to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Governments are instituted among men to protect these rights, not to violate these rights. And when governments violate rather than protect our rights, we have the right to form or create a new government. We have the right to alter or abolish our current government by God. We have that right. So body autonomy is a concern that I have with regards to mask mandates. I have a right to not wear a mask if I don't want to wear a mask. You don't have a right to force me to wear a mask. You're angry that the hammer didn't hammer that nail quite properly. Who was swinging the hammer? It was you. Only in this case, it's not a hammer, it's a person. And the, the person didn't do what you wanted them to do. And so now you're going to throw them across the room. Now you're going to mistreat them. We see the same mindset, that same callous way of regarding human beings as objects rather than persons in the mask mandates, in the lockdown measures, in the approach to dealing with objections, in the approach to dealing with another idea. Hey, you know what? I disagree with this. <gasps> you can't disagree. If you disagree, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to destroy you socially. I'm going to destroy you professionally. I'm going to destroy you politically. I'm going to destroy you in every possible way I can because you're not doing what I want you to do. I'm angry with you because you're not acting like an object. You're acting like another person that I have to show respect to. You're acting like another person that I have to reason with. You're acting like somebody who insists on boundaries. I don't accept boundaries. How dare you insist on boundaries? Body autonomy is important for all those reasons and more. Mask mandates violate that principle of body autonomy and are therefore, I believe, immoral. I believe they are an infringement on our inalienable rights, among these being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm not happy to wear a mask. You're infringing on my liberty. You're abolishing the idea that I have any liberty by insisting I must wear a mask or else you're going to get me fired. You're going to find me. You're going to exclude me. You're not going to be my friend anymore. You're not going to let me shop here. That's a problem. That's a problem. Another problem with regards to masks is the creation of psychological distance. And if you're unfamiliar with this concept, I'll unpack it for you a little bit. Psychological distance is a concept that I became familiar with in reading On Killing by Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman. On Killing is the product of decades of work by this army psychologist who has spent his career talking with soldiers returning from war, dealing with PTSD, dealing with coping issues, right? They come back to civilian life and they have a hard time readjusting after having been in the military. And not just after having been in the military, but very often after having seen combat. Their issues stem from either A, having someone try to kill them up close and that creating scars psychologically, seeing someone try and kill their buddies, their battle buddies up close, and that creating psychological scars. Them trying to kill somebody up close and succeeding, and that creating psychological scars. So all of these things create stress, they create problems in the mind and in the heart because we were not made to treat each other that way. We weren't made to kill each other. We recognize instinctively, deep, deep down at our core that other people are like us. They're created in God's image, there is a specialness that we need to show respect for in other people, in other human life. We need to protect it. We need to cherish it. And we need to not destroy it. And so killing, whether in war or not, whether justified in self-defense or not, it creates a psychological cost because there are barriers in the way that our brains work to treating each other that way. And there should be, and they're rightly so. But what Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman says in On Killing is that you can decrease or eliminate the psychological cost of killing by creating either psychological distance or physical distance. If you create physical distance between you and the person that is killing or being killed, then it's easier to reason away 
the fact that that's one human being being killed by another human being or trying to. One of the things that Grossman says is that covering the face or covering that whole human being, you know, wrapping them up in a city, right? You're, you're a bomber flying over a German or a Japanese city. You're trying to bring an end to the war and you're dropping bombs on this city. That city is full of people, full of men, women, and children. It's full of men, women, and children just like your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your siblings. You're dropping bombs, and those bombs are killing those people. Do you have the same psychological cost that a guy fighting in a trench, hand-to-hand, brutal knife fights has? No, you don't. No, you don't. You don't because those aren't people to you. Those are buildings. That's a city. You're not dropping bombs on a little girl named Susie. You're dropping bombs on that house, on that apartment building, on that fill-in-the-blank. You're dropping bombs on objects. And insofar as you're objectifying your target, you don't have to pay a psychological cost. And you can overcome the psychological barrier. Same goes for submarine warfare. A submarine is tooling around the ocean, sees an enemy ship, fires a couple of torpedoes at the ship. Hundreds of lives are lost when the ship goes down. Do you pay a psychological cost? those hundreds of lives, if you're the guy that fired the torpedo, compared with the one G.I. Joe who parachuted behind enemy lines in France, and now he is fighting house to house. He's got his bayonet out. He's charging the enemy. He's stabbing the enemy. The enemy's trying to grasp at his throat as he's getting impaled on the bayonet. Who's paying a higher psychological cost? The second guy, the guy parachuting behind enemy lines, fighting with bayonets. He's paying a major psychological cost. He's going to have issues for the rest of his life, even if he lives. I mean, if he survives, he does well, he he conquers, he does what we sent him there to do, he pays a cost for the rest of his life. He will never be the same after that. And I'm not talking physically. I'm talking psychologically. There's a cost. Masks are one of the ways of creating psychological distance. We have this term now, social distance. Do you know what I hear when I hear social distance. I don't hear social distance. I hear psychological distance. And it's fine, right? I get it. I'm not objecting to people distancing, keeping their distance. I like keeping my distance from people. I don't particularly love, you know, somebody coming up getting real, real close anyways, COVID or not. But social distance as this mantra, as this thing that you're told over and over all day, every day for months, and who knows when it'll end, I don't hear social distance. I hear psychological distance. And that psychological distance, whether it's an intentional effect or it is an accidental byproduct of this COVID response, that psychological distance is a catalyst. It is something that is going to be explosive when combined with these other chemicals that are in the mix right now. Let's do a quick recap of what all is in the mix. What is this brew? What is this concoction of COVID-19 in 2020? You have, in America, an election. You have an election where on the one side you have a corrupt, brain-dead politician who needs everybody else to hold his hand and do his talking for him and write his scripts. He's been in Washington for 47 years. His son goes around collecting money from our adversaries around the world in exchange for access to the vice president and possibly, possibly maybe president-elect of the United States of America. And on the other hand, you've got a bad orange man who tweets mean things and supposedly is a racist and a misogynist and a Nazi. And so both sides of this equation think that the other side is a combination of stupid and evil. And then you add on top of this foundation that's been built for four years at least. You add on top of that an extra layer of economic stress. People out of work, people afraid of losing their businesses if they're a small business owner, people afraid of losing their customers if they don't handle this right, if they don't have the right restrictions, they don't add the right features. Everything's in play. Everything's in flux. So you add that, that people are afraid of losing their jobs, and if they lose their jobs, with the unemployment being what it is, the economic conditions being what they are, will they be able to get another job easily or anytime soon? You add that economic uncertainty and stress as another layer. And then on top of that, add fear that people have of getting sick and dying, of their loved ones getting sick and dying. And all of a sudden, they don't see 
some stranger in the grocery store as a person like them. All they see is, I wonder if that person has COVID. All they see is potential vectors for disease. And all of a sudden, they're not treating one another as human beings. They're treating one another as a disease very easily, just like that. And all of a sudden, you add on top of this social distancing, aka psychological distancing, which is not just about having six feet between you and this person. If I'm taking a shot as a sniper at a thousand yards and I just shot 20 German soldiers, I'm an American sniper. I just shot 20 German soldiers in that glade over there. I cleaned out this whole machine gun nest. I'm well bedded down. They can't find me. They can't see me. I've picked off this whole group and I've taken out this machine gun nest before they even know what's up. Is my psychological cost for killing as high as the one guy who had to run in and do some mop up after I did that? He was charging that machine gun nest. I laid down suppressing fire. I took out the machine gunner. I took out the guy that was going to jump in and take over the gun after the machine gunner was shot. This young GI, he comes running in close quarters with his Tommy gun. And uh, he's got a squad of guys. They're going to make sure everything's absolutely secure. They're going to take this hill. And now it's our hill. He runs in there. And there's just one guy who's still alive. He's got enough life in him, and he was hidden, and I couldn't see him. I'm a sniper. He's got to finish this guy off, or they're going to get into it. They're going to they're going to fight hand-to-hand. I killed 20. He killed one. But because we're talking in inches rather than feet, rather than 1,000 feet, his cost is higher. Now, you, you create this social distancing mechanism. You tell people they've got to be six feet apart, and also they have to wear masks. The net effect whether by design or accident, is psychological distance. So you've just added that into a mix in which you've got people thinking, you know, one half of the country thinks the other half of the country is either stupid or evil or both, and vice versa. You know, both halves of the country think that the other half is either stupid or evil. We've got a media which exacerbates this and which creates a condition in which one side of the country thinks that Anything goes, right? You have cops in Washington, D.C., for instance, when there was this million-strong march that was planned. I don't know how many people actually turned out, but it was a lot. It was a lot of Trump supporters that marched on Washington, D.C. to show solidarity with the president of the United States of America, who is, by the way, still Donald John Trump. Whether you like it or not, he is your president if you're an American. You've got millions of Americans 73 million by last count who voted for President Trump. And you get, I would say, at least hundreds of thousands, if not a million, Trump supporters that marched in Washington, D.C. And Antifa decided to meet them in the streets, holding signs, talking about punching a Nazi. And what they meant by Nazi was Trump supporter, because the media has told them Trump supporters are Nazis. Trump is Hitler. He's worse than Hitler, actually. Some of the talking heads were given scripts that told them to say that Trump was worse than Hitler because Hitler at least did some nice things for Germany. Germans economy. Trump did too, by the way, but he's not Hitler. Uh, One party in this country has killed millions upon millions of innocent people over the past 40 years, 50 years. One party has tried to stop them and is so pro-life that when some fringe person goes out like John Brown and takes the law into his own hands and attacks an abortion clinic, the rest of the pro-life crowd says, no, 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 no. We can't be shooting abortion doctors. We can't be blowing up abortion clinics. Can't do that. That's not the way. You know, John Brown did the same thing with trying to liberate the slaves, and he lost his life for it. And his sons lost their lives for it. They failed, and yet we remember them for some reason, interestingly enough. Maybe, just maybe, they started what uh, became more and more imperative in the Civil War that ultimately happened. And we might just be headed for a civil war. I mean, it's it's like that uh, cartoon. It's a horrible cartoon. Don't watch it. Certainly don't watch it if you're just hearing me refer to it. I don't watch it anymore because it was just like, oh. Uh, but there's this cartoon called Archer. It's about this secret agent who's just an idiot, and everybody's an idiot. And it's very off-color. It's very not appropriate. It's not appropriate for me to watch, so I'm not going to recommend it for you. But uh, there's this, this kind of shtick that they uh, bring up from time to time where they say, do you want ants? This is how you get ants. Anytime he finds a mess or crumbs or something like that, somebody's been untidy. He says, do you want ants? This is how you get ants. Well, I say, do you want a civil war? This is how you get a civil war. Or this is how you get crystal knocked. This is, you know, this is how it happens. When you get the left saying, we're keeping lists of people that supported Trump, that voted for Trump, and those people should never be able to teach in a university or a school. They should never be able to sit on a, 
a board for some corporation. We should boycott their businesses. We should destroy their livelihoods. We should destroy their lives. Shame on them. You know, that's the same kind of rhetoric that leads to a Kristallnacht, in which the, the Germans who were on the side of the Nazis, in a single night, they went around purging Jews and uh, all their political opponents. In the middle of the night, they dragged them out of their houses, they shot them, stabbed them, beat them to death, hauled them off to jail. They disappeared them. It was a purging of political dissent. You want to know who the Nazis are? Listen for the people that are saying, we're making lists of people who disagree with us politically, and they shouldn't be allowed to X, Y, Z. We're going to silence them. We're going to censor them. We're going to get them fired. We're going to get their businesses destroyed, et cetera, et cetera. Listen for which party, which group is saying that kind of stuff in America. So mask mandates, needless to say, I have a major problem with it. I think it's extremely dangerous because it is contributing to that condition. Anybody that wants to talk about polarization, tribalism, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, we all need to turn the rhetoric down. We need to dial it back and we need to get along. You don't get there when everybody's covering their faces and making it easier to dehumanize one another and to treat each other as objects. You don't get there when one side of the country predominantly, one half of the country predominantly, the left, the progressives, the Democrats, want to say, I'm going to force you to do something with your body. And if you don't, I'm going to destroy you. You don't get there when one side is dehumanizing the other and it gets easier to dehumanize the one side because they're covering their faces. That creates psychological distance. It does. It really, really does. It would be better if we all were 12 feet apart from each other for the rest of our lives, but don't wear masks because the masks dehumanize us. All of a sudden, you can't look at that person's facial expressions. All of a sudden, you're not thinking about what they feel. You can't tell what they feel. It's a non-factor. You don't care. And you're agitated because you're wearing a mask and because you're under all these oppressive conditions. It's just bad news. It's very, very bad news. It's dangerous. It's wrong. But even if it weren't for those things, even if it weren't for those things, the fact is it's antithetical to the American idea of liberty. It's antithetical. It is at odds with our ideals. And so if you ask me to comply with this, I'm thinking of somebody who's read my history, who knows where I stand on things. I can't go for this. You're asking me to do things which are antithetical to my convictions, that are antithetical to my nature, that are antithetical to my principles, to my values. You're asking me to betray the things that I stand for and that I argue for on this podcast, in my writing. You know, this isn't just a matter of not being told to do what I don't want to do. It's a matter of, you have no right to tell me to do this. You're not in the right. You have no authority over me except that which has been given. And you've not been given the authority to tell me to wear a mask. I didn't give that authority to you. And you can't just presume it because other people are doing likewise elsewhere. That's a very dangerous thing as well. Where all of a sudden, we, we've turned this whole idea of liberty on its head. And I only have the right to do whatever you tell me I have the right to do. There's no liberty whatsoever in that. And if you threaten my job, you know, I either do what you say or, or I lose my job in that regard, then what's differentiating me from a slave, really? I mean, all of a sudden I have no rights because it's either that or I'm unemployed. What differentiates me from a slave? You have me at your mercy and you're willing to destroy my ability to provide for my family. That's dark. That's really dark. And if you know that you're putting me in that position where I either follow my ideals, I either follow my convictions, or do what you say, if that's an unnecessary condition and you're comfortable with that and you're okay with that, boy, howdy. That is a sad state of affairs. That that distresses me. And I say it distresses me not just because it, you know, I, again, I'm just stubborn and I don't like being told what to do. It distresses me because the whole basis for our relationship has suddenly shifted drastically. All of a sudden, you stand between me and a clear conscience. And so what do I do about that, right? What am I supposed to do about that? And how do I even begin telling you the position you're putting me in, the dangerous position you're putting me in? You don't want to see me without a conscience. You really don't. So don't ask me to violate my conscience just so you can feel good about yourself, that you took a really hard line stance on this. We're in a very, very dangerous place if we all 
forget that there is such a thing as a conscience and that there is such a thing as principle. If we all stop being principled and we're only thinking about number one, looking out for number one, then all those other factors that I just mentioned about people being scared and angry with each other and distrustful of one another and having psychological distance, all of a sudden you've got everything you need for massive violence, massive suffering, massive destruction, and our country tears itself apart. And quite frankly, just to end this whole broadcast, this whole episode, on a really cheerful note, if I tell you the truth, I think that there's some people that that's exactly what they want. That's exactly the effect that they're going for. And we're playing right into their hands. They want us to tear each other apart. They want us to tear our country apart. They want us to destroy ourselves and one another. And we can't play into their hands. We can't do that. It is not okay. But the only way we're going to not play into their hands is if we remember what is true, we remember what is right, or respectful, we stand on principle, we do what's right, we treat one another with respect, we insist on other people being treated with respect around us, and quite honestly, we insist on being treated with respect ourselves. That's the only way we don't play into their hands, because the first person stands up, it's scary, it's dangerous, it looks weird, all of a sudden they have everybody's attention. But guess what? It's easier for the next person and the next person and the next person to stand up. And we need people to stand up. We've got to. We've got to. We need to do the cost-benefit analysis on this because the cost is so, so much higher than we are taking into account. We're doing single-factor analysis. There was a scenario yesterday with Haswhopper, and we were talking about trying to do a cleanup at some factory that was abandoned in the late 1990s. And you've got three different chemicals that are stored in massive quantities, significant quantities, in this factory. And you've identified these three chemicals. And so now let's look them up in our emergency response guidebook, in our NIOSH guidebook. And let's see what are these chemicals? What are the hazards? And one of the things we were supposed to look at was, are they reactive? Do they react to one another? And if they do react to one another, how does that change the order in which we need to deal with them and dispose of them? Single factor analysis is extremely dangerous when you start talking about chemicals. You know, let's talk about the spiritual by first talking about the physical here. Maybe you're a naturalist and you think that all there is is the physical world. There is no spiritual. There is no metaphysical. Now, I disagree with you, but let's just talk about chemicals for a second. And maybe, just maybe, there's more to this than you understand and then you realize. This chemical reacts with that chemical in an explosive way or in a uh, toxic way. It creates a gas, which is poisonous, which will kill you if you breathe it, which will kill other people if they breathe it. Don't you want to keep those chemicals separate? Don't you want to make a special effort to get the least volatile of those chemicals out of the mix as far away as possible, disposed of properly as soon as possible? If it's a fire triangle, you're trying to keep oxygen and fuel and a spark, an ignition source, trying to keep those things separated. And all the more, the more explosive the fuel has the potential to be. So let's think about this mask mandate thing. Let's think about whether this is really about safety, because if it is really, truly, honestly about safety, we got to look at that. We got to look at whether we're getting tunnel vision. We got to look at whether this is single factor analysis. And if it is, then by God, pump the brakes here, folks. If this is really about safety, then we've got to double check our math here because we're, we're, we're forgetting to carry the one but what I think this is actually about, and a lot of people agree with me, a lot, a lot of people agree with me, what this is about more than safety is it's about control. And insofar as it's about control for the people that are issuing these mandates and that are being Karens about the mandates and are tattling on their neighbors and are tattling on the people that come into a business and they're doxing folks for not following the rules because that gives them the sadistic pleasure of destroying somebody else. They've got an excuse. They can do so with the approval of society, or so they think. For those people, this is about control more than it is about safety. And for those of us that are more concerned about safety, we need to consider the safety hazard of empowering and encouraging and putting ourselves at the mercy of control freaks. Because there's nothing that says we have to. There's nothing that says we need to. There's nothing that says we have to go for that. We embolden those people. We give them more and more and more power. The more that we follow them, the more we obey them. If they're not supposed to be calling the shots, if they're not supposed to be telling us what to do, then the sooner the better on letting them know. So anyway, that's all I've got for you today. I hope this has been helpful. I hope it's been not completely distressing and discouraging and depressing and concerning uh, because I think a lot of us, we, we have all of this rattling around in our brains 
and we need to be intentional in processing it and analyzing it and taking a look at, okay, you know what, where are these misgivings I have coming from and are they valid? And now what, right? That might be the next thing we need to talk about. If you've got ideas for now what, uh, please write to me, reach out, let me know. I'd love to hear from you. And let's think it through. Let's talk about now what, you know, if this is correct, that these mask mandates are bananas for all the reasons I just mentioned. Now what, let's talk about it. Anyway, thanks for listening. If you made it this far, appreciate your support. Uh, if you would hit subscribe, share this with somebody you know that might benefit from it. Share this with somebody you know who might benefit from it. And uh, let me just conclude with this final thought. You are not an object are not just a vector for disease. You are created in the image of Almighty God. You're here for a purpose. People around you are here for a purpose. Have compassion on them if they're just scared. Let's not be scared. Let's not lose our heads. And uh, by God's grace, we will endure. And God bless you.